people's choice about which agent to work with on a residential transaction can be very random or particular, and it it's probably highly emotional. It's all about relationship. You know, somebody may meet me and I remind them of their, their stepmother, so they won't work with me. <laughs> and that's fine. You, you know, you said something about seeing people at their worst. I don't know it's at their worst. I think it's that okay. they're at their most, they're vulnerable and it's an unguarded moment. And that needs to be honored. Right there, I think we need to soundbite that. You're seeing people at their most vulnerable and we need to honor that. Like that's... That's good real estate philosophy, if you ask me. Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing-focused business for the future. Let's get into it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. Um, I think I'd like to say one of our pioneers of auction in the Bay Area is how I'd like to introduce you, Cynthia. <laughs> so, ladies, Cynthia Cummins is uh, the the founder of Kindred Homes um, and uh, and somebody that gave myself a shot very early on in our auction days in San Francisco and. I still remember the one on Divisadero being certainly one of the ones that I have. We've certainly used that to springboard a lot of success, Cynthia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Ben, for having me. It's great to reconnect with you. Absolutely, indeed. But uh, I, I think that uh, the thing that um, that I've got some fond memories of is was that situation and you and I working through that situation of – it was an in, they were they were interesting clients because we definitely had to over explain everything to them we had to make sure that they felt connected to um but uh that was a tremendous result in the end well i it was funny because i think because it was a new modality for me i was really take it was like you know, trying to speak to someone in another language. I was like, do you understand? <laughs> and what amused me was that as soon as we sort of got it all laid out, one of the clients said, hey, you mean it's like an auction? Because he had had, <laughs> he had, had experience with that with collectibles. And he said, I love that idea. I want to try that. I don't know if you remember that, but it was very funny. He he was, it was eager. It, it, yeah, it was kind of like a dawning moment, you know. You, you like it was like one of those moments where they where they're like, "Hang on, I get it." <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Indeed, but I guess that you know we've had a few successful auctions together, and 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 auction is just one portion of what your business is, or a very tiny portion of your business, because your business itself is that, as you and I were catching up a little bit before we jumped on and hit record, is that you're a business, we've got to see it flourish, and we've got to see it evolve um, since, since you know, the Harcourt's Auctions team has known you. But I'm really interested, because I've actually never had an opportunity to sort of ask you all of these questions that we're going to go through today, but your journey into real estate and your journey into real estate in the Bay Area. <laughs> well, um, so I, I'll go way back. I was born in Appalachia, Virginia, in, wow. in the coal mining region of Virginia. My parents, who were the among the first in their families to be educated, 
got out of there as fast as they could. And we moved to the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. And eventually I wended my way through college and through Sun Valley, Idaho, where I was a would-be ski bum. (laughs) But I had to work so hard I couldn't ski. Um, I made my way to San Francisco. I had a background as a writer, and I worked for Banana Republic at their headquarters in public relations. It was a very lowly job. Um, Before that, I had worked as communications director for the Bay Area Dance Coalition, which was a clearinghouse and consortium for everything from San Francisco Ballet to the most cutting-edge independent choreographer. And so I learned a lot about dance and and the performing arts, and I did a lot of writing. Um, But when I was working for Banana Republic, I was laid off, and I couldn't figure out what to do. And my then boyfriend said, you know, you were so miserable at that job, maybe you should go into real estate. <laughs> was there any was there any was there any context to that? Like why do you say real estate? <laughs> well, he had gotten his license and ah. he was a new licensee in San Francisco and he was saying, you know, hey, you ought to give it a try. I think maybe he was just trying to placate me because I never thought of myself as being able to sell anything. My sales acumen was just about zero, and maybe he knew that. But um, I I kept working as a freelance writer, writing articles for magazines while I got my license and um, went to work for Mesa McDuffie, which was okay. uh, then a pretty big brokerage in California, at least. And I I found my first client by following instructions and knocking on doors. He, He had just arrived from New York the night before when I knocked on the door. He was visiting some friends and he said, oh, you must have been sent from heaven. I'm here. <laughs> Nobody gets this response, right, when they knock on a door. I've, I just got here for New York and I have a week to find a house. That, that's unbelievable. That's so good because most people think that people are going to yell at them, but you've got, you were sent from heaven. <laughs> right, exactly. Which was so startling that I left and went home. I said, that's great. But this was in the days, this was more than 30 years ago. There were no mobile phones or I didn't exchange any information. I was lucky that I could remember which address it was. And I had to go, I went back and left a note under the door. And then he and I went and started looking for property. We found him a place. And I was so smitten with the idea that I was serving someone, that I was helping someone in a really meaningful way, accomplish something that was really important in their lives. And that that hooked me. Well, I mean... If I hadn't been, if I hadn't done the door knocking, if I hadn't done it, never would have met him. So I get points for that. But it was the service aspect. It was the aspect of being of service to someone that really 
made me think, hmm, this could be interesting. So wow. That's how I so, got into it. So so then the company that you were with, like there's there's this there's this shortfall here where you've door knocked on a on on somebody, you've obviously uh, you've obviously sold them a property, but now you run a team of ten people. You you represent yourself in your own brokerage. Uh, you know certainly under the side model um, that, that that is there as well. You're one of the early people to be invited into that organization, mm-hmm. um, and and you had to have to do a certain level of production to be invited into that organization. So. Uh, <laughs> Where did where did things what happened between the one person helping buy a home to now where you are you've got a team of ten people plus operation staff a marketing team all of those things and a force to be reckoned with in the Bay Area real estate space <laughs> it's been a it's been it's been a journey <laughs> yes a lot of things have changed and in, in, in ways that I didn't think they would um, my the boyfriend I talked about before, who's still a really close friend, is my ex-husband, and he and I worked together a lot um, over the years. And then after my divorce, which included uh, changing the partnership, the business right. partnership, I kind of renewed my commitment to the job, and I was working at what was then the preeminent brokerage in San Francisco. Some would argue, but at the time, that was McGuire Real Estate, right. uh, which was since purchased by Sotheby's. And Compass came to town and mm-hmm. um, recruited the two, one, two, three top producers at McGuire. Right. And then all of a sudden, I was the top producer at McGuire. and um i things were things were were changing a lot things there was a lot of disruption going on and i was being courted heavily i was courted by compass and some of the other brokerages were approaching me i wasn't particularly happy with some things that were going on at my old company and so i decided to take the meetings for the first time ever i had always felt very loyal but now I thought I'll check it out. And here comes side, here comes guy gal running, <laughs> riding into town on his white steed. And I, I was just so um, taken by the honesty and earnestness of what he was trying to accomplish that I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. <laughs> and so that was at the end of 2018. And what I didn't understand at the time was that I was actually starting a real estate agency of my own. That's right. I just thought, (laughs) this is better than anything else I'm seeing. I'm willing to take a chance. And now here I am four years later with 10 10 agents and sports staff. And (laughs) and, um, I don't know how that happened. Can I ask you a question that I just sort of I, I heard you say that you weren't happy with the few things that were happening at McGuire at the time, and this was obviously pre-acquisition. But from a learning for for people to either you know you know a lot of realtors listen to this podcast, the learning from a perspective of them sort of realizing things they might not be happy with, they might need a change of environment. What weren't you happy with? What made you think about making a change? This is going to sound very egocentric, but. <laughs> I didn't feel appreciated. In a I way. think that's valid. I think it's so valid in the industry, though. 
Yeah, I didn't feel appreciated. And it wasn't like I wanted people to say, oh, Cynthia, you're amazing. You're so fabulous. But um, I just noticed that there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of room for me. And, and that the company, they had a long history of being, you know, tops in the industry in San Francisco and, and um, you know, one of my role models and heroes was the, the woman who started that company many, many, many years ago. And um, I, that's kind of was the seed of it. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed my family, the family of agents there. But it also felt like there was a lot of inertia. We were kind mm-hmm. of stuck. Nothing was, there was nothing new under the sun. Right. It was just the same old, same old. And I, and there was also this feeling of a sort of pyramid of worthiness. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I was, I didn't like my place in the pyramid. I didn't want there to be a pyramid. And what side was offering was something that I hoped was going to be a lot more egalitarian. And that yeah. is exactly what I found right. with my fellow partners at side. Um, so much collegiality, so much cooperation and learning together and looking out for each other, really walking that walk. It was like, it's like the, the people that I know from there, it's like a movement, you know, in San Francisco where, you know, a movement within real estate to fight against some of the, for lack of better terminology, like evil forces that were changing things in the industry right. is that, you know, the people that were the early adopters that I certainly know from the side community uh, and the things that they've done with your individual businesses, you know, not from a growth perspective, like I've seen with your business, Cynthia, with adding team members, which I want to get to shortly, but it was certainly everybody... It was a cohesion that I hadn't felt for a very long time where they, where you guys were one team moving in a direction to save real estate in, <laughs> in the Bay Area, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of, I guess we were saving real estate. I, it, it, it's, even, it's even difficult to articulate. Like it's, I can't even explain it to other people who, like my very dear colleagues who chose to stay in with a more traditional model. Mm. Um, I cannot really quite explain how, how liberating it feels not to be ranked constantly. Got it. And I, and, and the respect that comes and the, and the um, motivation that comes from not feeling like you're less than another Mm. agent who's been, who's been lucky or has worked hard or has built up their presence. But, you know, I often say to people, if I'm asked, you know, how should I choose an agent? One of the first things that you'll hear is you should find somebody who's does a lot of volume in your area Mm. or whatever. And I have to say that, yes, that's something that you should consider, but who's going to work harder for you than an absolute rookie? Yeah, fair. They're going that, to work that, hard. Yeah, yeah that needs to, needs to get the deal done. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, anyway. It's, it's, good, it's good philosophy. But speaking of philosophy, I want to talk about the one thing that I see most people struggle with when it comes to their real estate business is growth and retention. 
and 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 you have ten realtors plus the operation side of the business that now are staring back at you, so to speak. First of all, how have you gone about the people that have joined the team? I know a couple of them, having dealt with them previously, but you've got some new faces there as well now. But at this point, are your are your day to day day I guess challenges more team orientated or is it real estate orientated? What's the evolution been over the last four years starting your own company? Well, it took me a while to begin to get the hang of it. It took me a while to understand that my job as a leader was is to support the people who I'm working with. And so I, I did a lot of studying and, and training and bringing to that endeavor some of my background as a sloppy Buddhist um, and as a parent to think about, you know, what's really wanted here. And so I really, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about kindred SF homes. It wasn't, it wasn't the Cynthia show. And, um, and that was kind of a relief for me. Okay. Now, at first I set about trying to recruit very actively, like trying to, you know, go after my peers who had stayed behind or um, talk to, try to drum up uh, people who might want to join me. I finally decided that it was better to just let it happen organically. Right. And that's what's happened. Um, I mean, a couple of agents had approached me who um, – as hard as it was because of, um, you know, what they brought to the, what they would have brought in terms of production um, and just who they were. They were really, really cool people, um, but they weren't a culture fit for my group. I mean, I talked with my other agents and said, hey, what do you think? And, and there were a couple people who everybody unanimously just didn't really want to work with. Right. And that was an important conversation to have. So you included the team in the decision of anybody new that comes on? To some to some extent. If okay. I think there's going to be a question about it. Okay. Absolutely. That's uh that's a really that's a that's a really interesting thing that you just said then is that if you think that there's going to be a question about it. So you think that if you bring somebody in and they're going to be like, well hang on, they're not really they don't seem like a fit to the kindred SF home model, mm-hmm. that's where you will involve them? Right. I would I would say, you know, I'm talking with, this is confidential, I'm speaking with so-and-so. How would you feel about them? Do you see them being part mm-hmm. of kindred? And we, we, I have, we have a somewhat distinctive philosophy about the work. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we want to be, we want to be happy in our work. We want to have lives that have something going on besides real estate. And we especially want that, we want that for our clients. And we understand what I what I think I understand about real estate is that it's really about home, as in the idea of sanctuary. It's a fundamental yeah. human need. Shelter, food community, right? So sanctuary home is one of the key components. And even though we're talking about 
you know, rates of appreciation and, and loan to value ratios and, and, um, you know, how much money am I going to make on investment and so forth? What it really comes down to is, am I going to feel loved (laughs) in this place? Is this a place that's going to support me and my family and my friends and the people I love? Are we going to be able to have a happy human life here? And so even if people don't think that's what's going on, that's what's going on when you get right down to it. Oh, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a refreshing philosophy to, to think about it in that manner. It becomes so hyper-personalized, I think, that the industry gets tied up on the transaction element of it, just the transaction itself and the volume of transaction that comes from it. When we miss some of that stuff, that of that home nature, Cynthia, I have missed you. I have missed you. You, you bring me, you bring me back down to earth. <laughs> well, what you just said is so important. The transaction part, right? What it, what's really going on is it's a transition, and change is horrible. Change is just horrible. And often with a real estate purchase, you're not just moving, you're not just changing places, but you're, you might be going through a divorce or you might be getting married or somebody may have died, or you're trying to figure out where your kids are going to go to school. There's, there could be an illness. I mean, there's so many changes going on. that's just really loaded up. So any kind of human eccentricity or neurosis can get (laughs) funneled into that transaction in a way that can make it very unpleasant for, for the person who's buying or selling. And they can be wretchedly unhappy in it. And it just really doesn't have to be that way. So, so even if someone can't pivot to um, come at it from a different angle, at least we can hold that for them, you know. And yeah, I can I think forgive that, if I'm treated badly. Well, so that's, I was just going to say that is that I think that coming at it from that angle, we get to understand that we probably see people at their worst state, really. If you, if you find somebody in a moment of change, most of the time, they are at their worst state. They're in an unhealthy state. And we're in the middle of that, then adding not only change into the equation, but then trying to get them to think logically, financially, and and all of these other things that come in come into it at the same time. You can just see how. Uh, have you seen that with your clients previously? Me thinking of it, have you seen that the type the type of person they are during the transaction versus post transaction? Have you seen it? Well, yeah, pre pre transaction, during, and after, there can be big changes. Mm. It's so intimate. Mm. It is so intimate that, um, I mean, I, I just have a lot of compassion for everybody because, yeah. you know, even something as simple as, you know, like um, I have a, a, pre, a listing presentation platform with a lot of real estate tools, you're able to see what the consumer is looking at when they open the presentation. It's fascinating and it's very telling what, for example, the husband looks at and what the wife looks at Wow! in the presentation. And, you know, that's, that's good knowledge. It might prepare a person for the questions, an agent for the questions they're going to get. 
it also kind of lets me know something about what they're concerned about. You mm-hmm. know, what is the what is one partner carrying more than the other? You know, are they worried about the financial bottom line more than the whereas the other partner is thinking about um what's it going to feel like sitting around the table after dinner? <laughs> yeah. Can they have that feeling that they want? So it's um that's a really that's 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 interesting to see that with the evolution of technology that you can you can actually see what somebody is more hung up on in your listing presentation platform is there is there a typical is there a platform that uh, a certain type of platform that you're using um, to like send them the presentation and that monitors that is there a, a certain because I know Slidebean does yeah there's a there's a few different things um, high note. I mean, anything, you know, there's so much analytics out there Mm. and I sort of don't like it. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it to to be truthful because, because I don't, I think it really, it only tells you so much and everything, people's choice about which agent to work with on a residential transaction can be very, very random or particular. And it, it's probably highly emotional. And it's probably, it's all about relationship. You know, somebody may meet me and I remind them of their, their stepmother so they won't work with me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. You, you know, you said something about seeing people at their worst. I don't know it's at their worst. I think it's that okay. they're at their most... Vulnerable? They're vulnerable and it's an unguarded moment. And that needs to be honored. That's uh, that's that's right there. I think we need to soundbite that. You're seeing people at their most vulnerable, and we need to honor that. Like that's that's good. That's good. That's good real estate philosophy, if you ask me. <laughs> Instead of yeah, now we got them. They're going to pay more. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so let's 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 talk about your philosophy. Is what we is one thing that you know we spoke about before the podcast. Is that it's a philosophy that I've enjoyed in in real estate to sort of re-look at the way that I've done real estate in the past in Australia and and to that transactional element and what are the things that we can refine and do better and and also learn from. How do you describe your business? Like and when I say describe your business, you know, in that typical fashion of repeat referral or cold prospecting or, you know, how are you nurturing your agents and describe that relationship, but then your own business as well. Is it a repeat business? Is it how do you describe it? Well, yeah, my business and most of my agents who are seasoned agents, um, and they're the ones who are doing most of the production, the newer agents, there's a, there's a group of newer agents who are just beginning to find their feet. Um, but most of us are, it's all repeat business. And I think of my business as a, as a tree, the tree analogy where I got it, you know, I put it in the ground 33 years ago, it's been fertilized and sometimes it's been neglected. There have been some grafts put on. Um, but then, you know, every, there are all these people who I can look back and think, okay, I know this person because I knew him, because I knew her, because I knew them. And there's these big branches coming out. And it's quite, that's really nice. Um, yeah. I am more and more 
beginning to get get leads from um, the marketing that I do. Okay. Um, Kindred SF Homes has a pretty um, successful social media presence. Mm-hmm. I have um, a blog called Real Estate Therapy. And then Kindred has a, a blog called Digest. I will link to those in the in the show notes because I noticed that that re therapy uh-huh. that uh, on your website and I thought I thought that was sensational. So <laughs> I, I think I think I think people I think people need to need to certainly check it out. But I'll I'll make sure we link it in the show notes so people can see that type of creativity. Right. I mean, we're sort of trying to talk about some of the some of the more oblique things about real estate and real estate therapy. Um, Lately, I've been writing more to the agent experience um, because it, I think there's a lot of ways to be successful as a real estate agent. So many, and I some of the some of the ways look harder than others. Um, but uh, you know, if you if you work your system, you can do it. I just, I've, I've never, I've never been one who could cold call or, I mean, I door knocked, but sure, I am, um, I'm a little bit lazy. It comes from relationships. <laughs> well, I think that I, I don't know, relationships could probably be harder work than the cold relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they can. I, yeah. the, so a lot of what I talk with, um, with my agent group about is, how do you build relationships? And that might include basic advice like when you're at an open house, it's important to remember that the house sells itself. Mm. There's nothing, there's, I mean, I can't even, there's almost nothing we can do except present it to get someone to be interested in the house and want to buy it. You know, I could give you the best tour ever, and that's not probably not going to change your mind. But um, I can be very interested in you and and learn everything I can about what makes you tick, you know, what would make you happy? What are your goals? So becoming the expert on the people we serve is what's important, not Yes, we need to know a few things about real estate, but the property sells itself. It's more about people, really, and all the, all all the all the cases that you're sort of putting forward. The people side of this business is something that probably is forgotten a lot of the time in the training element of skill set versus the the element of relationships. So, so you your philosophical approach to this with your team, not everybody. Not everybody – sorry, I'm going to even frame that differently. <laughs> Very few people think in this manner in our game, Cynthia. So have you seen agents come into your business and have really had to change their business? Or obviously there's probably times where it's just not a fit and they're just not going to fit into the way that you, you're seeing things. So they probably part ways. But realistically, have how do you, how do you deal with that change element with somebody that might be experienced? Well, I think if if you're not if you're coming from a different angle than I am, when some people are, and it's working for you, great. Mm. If it's not, it's probably a good time for that person to reconsider what they're doing, and 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 then maybe dropping into 
themselves to figure out what really makes me work. What, what motivates me? Like, there's no need to learn how to cold call if it's something that you're never, ever going to be comfortable doing. Mm. Right. Just to say you did it. It's a little bit like, um, I don't know. It would be like me joining CrossFit, you know, just to say, I'm not, I, there's so many other ways I can be physically fit. Right? <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> uh, oh, that's good. I don't have to go pull a, a truck wheel, you know, <laughs> on chains across the floor. Um, I mean, there was, there was an agent I know who I kept trying to say, look, you don't need to give a tour of the, the house get out of the way, be, be kind and inviting, welcome people in, but you don't need to follow them around pointing out the faucets (laughs) and that they just couldn't get down with that. It seemed to them like they just weren't doing the job if they didn't helicopter the person around the, the house. And what the effect of it was, those people felt like they were being hunted. They felt like they were being pressured. They felt like all this person wants is to make a sale. That's great. That's great. That's great. They're being hunted in the property. (laughs) That's so true if you think about it. Like being a fly on the wall like I have been in so many situations and you see them basically stalking the person like it's like it's like one of those scenes in Jurassic Park where the raptors sort of stalking someone <laughs> walking around. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Right, just, do you think that comes? Do you think that comes from? It, it, <laughs> do you think that? Do you think that that comes from an insecurity or of of or of like I need to do something here or? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it it comes from thinking that what we do is sell. We think we're selling product. We're not. We're not displaying a, a tray of beautiful silk scarves here, right? For people to select from, right? It's different. Mm. It's different. Yeah. We're um, we're trying to get to the truth for whoever that customer is. You know, we're we're helping them. I my you know my philosophy this is a very active practice that I have as an agent myself, which is to talk clients out of buying something, to talk them out of writing an offer. I, I firmly believe in when somebody says, I want to make an offer on this property, the first response is, here's five reasons why you shouldn't. <laughs> right? That's, that's so good. And, and that's, not a, that's not a tactic. But it works as a tactic because if they say in response to my five reasons, well, no, I disagree with you. I want to go ahead. Then that sh- then they're, they're, they're having a dialogue with themselves, a conversation with themselves about their commitment. They must really want it. Hmm. And that's, you know, if there was a situation today and just to draw a par- parallel to it, one of my guys came to me and said, um, I've got a I've got a property in Belvedere. They want to they don't want to do an auction, but the seller's really reluctant to do a lower bidding to start from on the property. And I'm like, 
okay, well, you know, we can understand that reluctance, you know, dropping a price point to that extent, you know, they want over $6 million. We're recommending it goes to 4 million reason why to attract people that aren't looking in Belvedere and Tiburon at the moment. They're looking in, you know, Sausalito or Mill Valley, you know, bring those people there because if they've got a budget of four, four and a half million, they could certainly stretch if they wanted to. And there's a philosophy behind that. But then the seller's like, look, I'm not going to do it if you ask me to put a lower bidding to start from price on it. And it's sort of like, no problem. What price do you want on it? And they said, oh, I'll do it for $5 million. And I'm like, I said to the, the my guy, I said, hey, go back and say, hey, that's fine. But as long as you're doing this with your eyes wide open, that 60% less chance of the right people coming through the door and we'll probably have to readdress it later. And it all came down to the fact of that, like, it all came down, he, he wasn't he basically didn't believe that us lowering the bidding to start from was going to get anyone through. And it came down to when my guy came back to me to ask me, you know, what, what do you think we should do? He's basically saying that I don't want to do the bidding to start from. I don't think it's going to work and whatever, but I still want to go ahead with auction. It's like, no, I'd prefer you not to, because when we do bring you the real market and it probably is going to be maybe at five, five or five, eight or something like that, you're going to blame the bidding to start from price and we know that you're like, so we actually said no to the business. Right. And come back and see us maybe if it doesn't work out for you traditionally, because it, it, it just, it, it, it's like what you're saying, Cynthia, is if you're forcing the situation, it's for the sake of getting the win in that moment, right. that, quick dop- that quick dopamine hit, it's just going to bite you later on. Yes, indeed. And, and uh, I mean, getting to a no is fantastic. Right. Getting to where somebody says, no, I don't want that. Or no, I won't list that at a, at a reasonable price. I mean, and with auction that, I mean, we've had, we've had this conversation with people we've been talking to and, and, um, you know, there's all sorts of arguments against that, that low start from bidding price, but it works every time. <laughs> so, I mean, the problem is, is that they're taking our word for it. And, and unfortunately, realtors have a bad rap, you know, for being kind of s- slimy, which is funny to me because I feel like the work we do is so noble. Like, who else is going to love people as much as as we do? I'm available 24-7. I have, I have clients who call me at 8 o'clock on Friday night crying because they're lonely or worried about something. And I can I can talk to them for an hour and a half. I don't, I'm not their therapist saying, okay, time's up, right? I'll see you next week. I'm there for them. Yeah. And there's real, there's real money involved. It's a big yep. deal. It's really loaded up, and and that's, you know, it's important. You have to have, you have to be trustworthy. You have to tell the that, truth. I think the pride that you, I think the pride that you instill in me for the industry, it sort of gets us away. Like slimy is what you said. Like, uh, like from a from a. It is just the way that people describe the industry because I think that that's the way that people. It's so so much easier to teach than what you're teaching, Cynthia. Yeah, yeah. Because you you got to look at yourself, you got to dive in a bit deeper, and you got to you got to get a little bit mucky, <laughs> to a little bit prickly in order to actually understand it. Right. 
I I had a really funny situation recently. I got a I got a phone call from a a woman um somewhere not in the Bay Area, somewhere off in another part of California who wanted to talk to me because she came across the blog Real Estate Therapy. And she she said, you know, I really I really need some real estate therapy. Okay. Now there was nothing in it for me, but I was really curious to hear what she had to say. And she was truly distressed. And she had she had purchased a property and um, put a lot of money into it. And now she had moved into it and she hated it. She hated it, hated it, hated it. And she felt completely trapped. And she kept saying, you know, how did this happen? Yeah. Now, a lot of people would say, well, you bought it. You know, you're the one who you put the money down. You did all that remodeling work. You're an adult. You made the decision. Um, but, you know, there was a whole cast of characters who were advising her. Of course. And yeah. I think maybe in the rush of things, nobody stopped to say, is this actually, is this what your heart wants? Have you sat down in this space? Have you sat on the sofa and looked out the window and thought, how will I feel when I'm living here? Right. I have to, I, I have to, I have to, I have to be, I don't think I've ever done that as well even in my practitioner days, but it's a, such a fair thing to ask. Like, do you got like, like if you think about it, what's the most amount of time that you've seen a buyer go back to a property after they've written the deal or they're in escrow? Well, oh, afterward, afterward, not much. But that's what I mean is like before they pro- maybe like, again, let's average it out. You've got the, the, the ones that are, you know, probably, you know, 10 times before they commit and then others that like they'll see it once, maybe for being in the vicinity of that space for 15 minutes. I have So Calistra and I bought something over in New York mm-hmm. and I just I, I never even saw it. It was right. a good deal or whatever and we walked in and we went and saw it before it closed and everything like that. We go back into it now and we're just like, this place sucks. Oh, no. Yeah, like, like it's like like – it's not what we wanted. We thought it was a good deal. It turned out not to be the greatest deal in the world. And I'm meant to do this stuff professionally. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, 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 you, and it's, you're so right is that asking those type of questions, it's hard to do it because you're like you pointed out before, you're kind of almost convincing no. Right. I mean, my first, my first purchase in, in, of real estate in San, in San Francisco, I had, I had the, nesting urge, not just before I had children or was pregnant, but I just had to have a house, you know? And honestly, I bought something that wasn't great. Um, and I remember getting the keys and going over there and opening the front door and walking in and just saying, why didn't somebody stop me? Hmm. Right. Well, they didn't stop me because I was the agent <laughs> and the buyer. <laughs> That was up to me, but um, it would have been hard to stop that train at that point. All the, there were so many objections. There were so many red flags and I wasn't seeing any of them and I wasn't willing to back up even, and that was, that was in, I saw the place a 
few weeks after the Loma Prieta earthquake in San Francisco. And right after that, the market started sliding rapidly. And I still went ahead and bought this kind of marginal place because I just had to have it. Right. Now, I don't, you know, there's, there are limits on how much we can do in terms of counseling people. But yeah. I, but I have seen people do what I did, which was settle for less be out of some sense of, I don't know, having to have something, having to have it decided, having to yeah. have it over. Having to have it decided is a, probably a really strong point in this. Like that, that, that's like having to have it over as well as what you just said as well. It's like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so a question for you about the Bay area in specific, like specifically San Francisco. Um, I know your team operates all over the Bay, but what do you think the future of the Bay looks like? You know, you've seen it, you know, for a period of time, you've mentioned before 30 odd years in your real estate business, you've been, you planted the seed about that long ago and it's grown you've seen some incredible evolution in that marketplace from a tech perspective, from the money, the venture capital spaces, everything. But then also I think that, you know, knowing, knowing the marketplace a little pretty well and having a couple of guys that live up there in the team is that, you know, it's suffered a little bit through COVID um, and the remote work side of it. What do you think the future of everything looks like? Hmm. It's uh it's funny, like during COVID, there was this reprieve. The city got quiet again. It felt a little bit like the small town it was in the late 80s. Right. You know, it had, um, and I, I loved it. There there were like, um, there were coyotes sitting in the middle of the intersection at like Powell in California howling in the middle of the night during COVID. <laughs> that was pretty cool. But it, I you know, Downtown has been decimated a lot with, um, you know, the uh, vacancies in office space. So it doesn't have the same vibrancy that it used to. And that's kind of sad to see. You don't want to see it going the way of um, the Boston that's depicted in that HBO series, The Last of Us, right? Um, (laughs) That place looks scary. (laughs) Right. I, I don't think we're going there. What I what I continually remind myself about is the inherent beauty of the city of San Francisco. What a magical what a magical place to be able to be able to live there, to be able to walk out to Ocean Beach or you know take a stroll in Golden Gate Park or or um, and to be able to you know like go down to Chrissy Field and see people outside really having a good time. Um, San Francisco is just an amazingly beautiful place to live. And so is the whole Bay area. So I don't think that's going to change fundamentally. I think we're in, you know, it's a little rough right now and everything's being reconfigured and rethought about what do you think about the price point? You know, like I, I think that there's certain people because I've got a I've got an affection for the Bay Area because I share the beauty element. I honestly think it's one of the most aesthetically beautiful places that from a from a city perspective that you know I think you'll ever find. 
There's yeah. nowhere else that is going to come close to that, I don't think. When you can go down the Marina District and you can see Alcatraz through to the Golden Gate on a nice clear day or go and walk along the front there, as you said, like get a coffee from the Phil's Coffee Cart. I think I mentioned before on one of the other episodes of On the Bay. It's one of my one of my great things is one of the boys that work with us, Shannon, he lives down in, in the Marina District. And you know, like it's it's just it's jaw dropping to see the Palace of Fine Arts at night lit up, and it's just it really is. But the the there's some there's some agents that hold a little bit of angst towards Bay Area agents in the sense that oh good they should experience a market change because they've had it so good for so long. Right. But but I think that you know you've had it the market's been good, but it doesn't mean that real estate's any easier. If you're representing buyers, it's highly competitive. And if and it's really competitive to get listings. They're more competitive than I've seen in most places. But what do you think will happen to the price point? Because the price point's been so high for so long. Right. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think we're already seeing that it's adjusting. Hmm. But will that hold for long? I don't think so. I mean, everything's getting more expensive all over the country. Yeah. all over the all over the world life is expensive and i think that a one thing that was missing maybe and one reason some san francisco agents got a bad rap was that it was like um we are the ones we created all these high prices and this wealth that's our doing aren't we something and, and there was a little missing gratitude for our very good fortune. And that really bothered me. Like when I, um, whenever, for example, if I got 12 offers on a listing, that's a, pre that's a pretty amazing result. But it's also a little bit embarrassing, right? Like, and if those 12 offers are close to each other, how do you choose? I mean, how can that be fair? That's one reason I like the auction modality is that um, it's not, there's more, there's a little more transparency in that if you are a buyer, like when they just tell me, I don't want to bring my buyer to auction, I just think, really? Yeah. Why not? I I've, been, I've been on that phone call with you. <laughs> I've been because there was one. I remember the. I think it was the highest bidder, um, and their agent. We were speaking to them, and they're, they're like, "Oh, I don't think that they want to go through the auction process." And you're like, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> right? Why wouldn't you want to see what the next people are willing to offer, and why wouldn't you want to outbid them by a thousand or five thousand dollars to win? Wouldn't that feel better than? the scenario where you're going in blind, which is the way it's been in San Francisco, where you throw your offer out there. I call, I call my successful buyer and say, guess what? There were 15 offers and you won. And the first thing they say is, oh God, we paid too much. <laughs> right? And that there's a little bit of a feeling of being, you know, a sucker. That's actually, you, you know, I think that you have brought, like I've, I've spoken to many people on, on this podcast about the philosophy of auction. And I think that you're the first one to actually admit that when you win in a multiple offer situation, you kind of don't feel like you do. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I've had, it's true. I mean, so many buyers where it just kind of lands like, oh, <laughs> I mean, there, and and then there's this tremendous effort to save face, you know, and to be like, oh, this is great. We're doing the right thing. Right. And I know from the, the listing side, they may be a hundred thousand over the next best offer. Right. Yeah. But what am I going to do? Counter them for yeah. a lower price because I'm nice. Yeah, no. no, I mean, and I've had yeah. sellers who faced, I mean, I remember one dear client of mine who became a friend after that we closed. Um, I went through the offers one at a time. I got to the winner that was just amazing, an amazing offer. And he, he put his face in his hands and wept with joy and gratitude and an embarrassment of riches, you know. That's so much better than when a seller says, oh, okay, I guess that'll do, right, you know? <laughs> That's, yeah. I, uh, I think that the the the... the the philosophy that you've got in this, and and again, I I said to Cynthia coming into this, I'd like to keep it, you know, around you know forty minutes. Oh. I typically like to keep them less, but but no, the beautiful part about this is that I've really enjoyed the philosophy that you bring to things, and we might have to even do a part two. I like I I think that there's an there's a there's a grace and a gentleness to you, Cynthia, that I think that most people forget in our industry that they think that they need to be blunt force trauma in order to actually get things done. Um, and I think that it makes us lose sight. I think that the training that is out there, and I'm certainly guilty of possibly some of my philosophy in the past and certainly maybe even still now of not thinking about that person in that situation making this such a big decision. I think we speak about it, but I think we like the idea of thinking that we do it. But when we actually get down to it, I don't think enough people dig as deeply as what you do. So personally, I'd like to say thank you for the opportunity for for give it, you giving me to enter your business with the auction process and our team to work with you and alongside Kindred SF Homes. But also, I think that your approach hopefully has got a few people thinking about the way that they conduct themselves. Well, I, 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 I that's lovely. I hope that that's the case. And I'd love to talk, do a part two. I mean... Because what goes with what I'm saying is that one must be gracious and ruthless at the same time. Ruthless in knowing that if you get to the truth for people, if you're direct, and that's something I've learned from you about how to be direct, how to say the thing that maybe they don't want to hear, but they need to hear it and they need to understand it in order to be educated so that they can make beneficial decisions that will help them progress with their lives. And um, I mean, that's what it's all about. And I think that that's a beautiful ending note. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rethink Real Estate. Thank you, Ben. It's been really fun. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.